seats and this is the time where children's church uh, can can be dismissed and go to their classes and if you're here and you don't know where your kids should go they can go right through these double doors here and they will be met and guided to their place last week uh, was back this up a little bit here last week was uh, youth Sunday and um, Tony delivered a message from Psalm 100 on the fact that God is God and God is good and if you weren't here last Sunday then you missed something amazing. I don't think there was a single person who was here who experienced what our youth are experiencing who didn't have a tear in their eye and a sense that, wow, God is moving. And that, what that does for me is it just doesn't move me. It makes me want to pray for more. That's what it makes me want to pray for. So, I appreciate, really appreciate the heart of Tony and Justin and just being faithful, and it's, it's a joy to be a part of this church, and I mean that from, from the deepest part of my heart. Um, well, we're transitioning now to another psalm, Psalm 37. If, uh, if you're new with us, we have been going through a series of psalms, selections through the summer, focusing on the heart, um, that God would use these psalms to restore an affection and a joy and a sense of fear and wonder in who God is, and us, the psalms are a great place for that to happen. You know, it's interesting, as I was thinking this morning about what we do here in this service, because some who are new to this church thing might wonder, why do they get up and do this message thing every week? Can't we just sing or do something funner? (laughs) Um, Well, it's because the word of God, which we hold in our hands, has always served as the ballast and the foundation of the church. You know, it's interesting how um, opinions and perspectives change through the years. Um, Like, for example, coffee. It was of the opinion of some in the past that coffee was bad. It was looked at as kind of the Christian crack, you know. Don't do drugs, but you can drink as much coffee as you want. (laughs) But it's bad for you. Um, Well, that's kind of the opinion years ago. Now they're finding that it actually has these antioxidants, so now it's good for you. So, like, which is it, you know? Um, Or the same thing with butter. You remember we went through that phase when, uh, well, butter's bad for you. And so we went to the other side. So we indulged ourselves in this synthetic lard called margarine parquet, thinking that it's the healthier choice. Now they're finding, once again, that butter, natural butter in small quantities is good for you. So, like, which is it? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it, you know? Well, this is one word that always remains the same. Because we believe, and the church has believed, and before that, the Jewish people believed, that God spoke through the prophets and the apostles a word for his people and it has guided them for thousands of years and it will not change. And so we come and we open this to hear a word from God to steer us on a course in a very shifting culture where things that were once wrong are now right and things which were once right are now considered wrong. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 37. And if I could ask you in reverence for God's word, if you would stand. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And then we'll focus on verses 1 through 3, but I wanted to give you the context. This is a psalm of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. You can take your seats. This psalm has become precious to me um, over the last year and a half or so, and I believe it should be precious to the church because it shows us a light, a light of how to live out our journey called the Christian life. Um, In the midst of evil, bad people who do bad things. And to say that there are evil people and bad people is not a judgment, it's simply a fact. And you know that. And I'm not talking about evil in the abstract sense, as in some kind of theoretical evil, but the evil that touches our lives, touches relationships, it hurts. The kind of evil that takes advantage of people is selfish and oftentimes destroys marriages. Um, This psalm shows the Christian, the one who trusts in the Lord, how to walk in a world which is dominated oftentimes by evil. I mean, you can sense that as you read through the psalm. The opening verse says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So the, the central core struggle is with people who do wrong. People who injure us. How do we live out our lives in that kind of a context? But the psalmist is more than just giving us a a lamp as to how we're to live out our lives with the presence of evil. Also, it goes on to show us how to live out our lives where there is the prosperity of evil. That is, sometimes bad people do bad things and they get ahead for it. That is, or comes to light, down in verse 7 and 8, when he says, 7, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. The context would tell us the one who's prospering in his way is someone who's not a good person. But he's getting ahead by doing the wrong things, and the next statement makes that clear, over the man who carries out his evil devices. It's one thing to live in a world where evil exists, and all of us, for all of us, that's a given. But to live in a world where doing evil things actually gets you ahead in life, that's even more difficult. Now, I recognize for some who may have a kind of suburban optimism, we may not stop to think about the fact that sometimes, perhaps oftentimes, crime does pay. That actually, by doing bad things, you can get ahead in this world. That for the student who is smart, he probably can or she can cheat on a test and if they don't get caught, end up at Stanford instead of a junior college. That if you are careful and smart about it, you probably can cheat on your income taxes and and have more money at the end of the day as a result of that. Um, I've seen a lot of expensive luxury cars driven around that I know were not purchased by the profits of eBay. 
but selling something quite different. Um, so there are people who, who get ahead by doing bad things. And when that comes to touch you personally, well, then it hurts and it takes on a whole new different feel. Um, this is a bit personal, but I'll share it. Uh, for years, I would travel up to Washington to my wife's house, and there I would meet two of my nephews. And I would play with them and wrestle this for probably almost 10 years. I haven't seen them in three and a half years because uh, there was a divorce, a split, and the ex-wife, shall I say, abused the court system and stripped the boys from my brother-in-law. Um, and he is an amazing father. And he hasn't seen them for three and a half years, and neither have we. In this case, the malicious and... Um, manipulative ex-wife won and the good father lost. This is a, someone, I think I've shared this before, but I came to Fairfield in 1997 and since that time I have been robbed nine different times from my apartment to my house to my cars. Now, one of those times did the guy get caught, which means it pays to rob me because eight people got away with it. And I'll tell you what, that bothers me. And when it happens to you, it probably bothers you. How do you live in a world where, you know, oftentimes it pays to do bad things, especially when you're the one who is the victim of it? Or let's take it to another dimension. Let's not just talk about illegal things or manipulative things. Let's just talk about things that are evil which are legal that I think the statement that we often say that nice guys finish last, I think that's true. If you're a nice person, giving, generous, that in the short term, you probably will lose. At least that seems to be the case in corporate business, corporate America, that the people who prosper the most seem to be the ones who have a hard, cold, heartless, often ruthless business mind. But the guy who's a little bit more generous and a little more compassionate, more giving. He's not going to have that healthy profit margin that the guy who's cold-hearted, ruthless, and calculated will have. Uh, you ever watch The Apprentice and watch the people who Donald Trump gravitates to? They're usually the ones who can make the cold, heartless decision. Um, so how do you live in a world where to get ahead means you play hard? You're heartless, cold and even ruthless. Well, that's, that's a very real, real thing. Um, it's, it's not just theory. You know this. That just cuts into human experience and just hurts. And David, King David, shows us in this psalm how to live in that kind of context. How do we live as followers of Jesus Christ? So Psalm 37 is, is, the, is the answer. It's a, it's, I think of it like a, a signpost. Um, so keep this image in your mind of a signpost with two arrows, you know. And one direction is the way not to take in terms of how we respond and live in a world where evil not only exists but prospers. Uh, an arrow saying, don't go this way, but go this way. So there's signposts, two different streets, two different ways, one not to go. First is, that's kind of the two parts of this. 
because that's the two parts of the first three verses. The first is the way we are not to respond and the road we are not to go down as we are confronted by and encountering evil around us, whether that be in a spouse, the home, your neighborhood, or community. The wrong way is summed up in verse 1. David writes, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Two words, fret and envy. Both are heart responses, potential heart responses to the presence and the prosperity of evil. Don't fret yourself over it and don't be envious of it. Those are kind of the flip side responses of how we can feel about evil, fretting and envying. The first one, fretting, has to do with getting worked up or what I would put in my terms, being freaked out by something. Um, Thinking about it, getting angry over it, uh, to the point where you maybe want to fight, that, that fight instinct. It's such an issue that he repeats it two other times in the first 11 verses. There in verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Down in verse 7, he says it again, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. And then in verse 8, he connects it with the emotion of anger and wrath. He says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. So he's speaking of a response of the heart that may begin with fretting over something, freaked out by it, bothered by it, upset by it, which then turns to anger, which then turns to wrath. And he's saying, don't take this road. Don't take this road in any relationship or context. Now, to be sure... There is a righteous indignation or fear that should be called forth as a response to evil, that the Lord gets angry over, over evil. The problem is for us holding on to it or expressing or venting it. That, that emotion of anger, as you well know by, by experience, is an expansive emotion. It is malignant, it grows, it burns, and it wants to be satisfied. And the more you fuel it, the harder it is to control both what comes out here and perhaps even at some points physically because it is an expansive, consumptive emotion. Um, In fact, the Hebrew word here translated fret literally means to burn. You might think you'd be able to control a little flame, but you never know when that flame is going to leap to your curtains, into your walls, to your house, into the neighbors. It's just that's the kind of emotion it is. And he's saying to us, Don't take this road. Don't be upset by it. Don't be freaked out by it. Don't fret over it. Don't get angry. And don't be wrathful. That is the wrong way to go. And the reason he repeats this so much is because that is the natural human instinct when you get hurt. Is to be bothered by it. Think about it over and over and then get mad about it. And then take out wrath. Kind of vengeance idea. That's the human response in the soul, typically uh, the response, which is why he says over and over and over and over again, fret not yourself. I know that that's my response in my heart um, when I am hurt, my initial response. And this signpost says, Dan, don't go that way. Don't allow yourself to go down this road. Let go of it. Just a couple weeks ago, three of us drove up to Oregon and decided we were going to climb out Hood. And uh, on the way, the last... Eighth of a mile, 
Um, Dan Overby was with me. Uh, we met these two hikers, climbers from, a, um, from another country that I shall not name. And um, this hiker, the guy, was just one of those guys who's over-the-top cocky, arrogant, and started telling us what to do. And, and my first instinct, as was Dan, was, man, that guy was a jerk. Irritation. And, you know, you just, if you say yes to that, that irritation, well, that can lead you down the wrong path where pretty soon you may want to help him down the mountain quickly. <laughs> I, I just know that's where it goes. That's, that's what it does. It builds and, and escalates things. Um, and, and, th- and that's what happens in our lives is someone hurts us. And sometimes it's, a, it's evil that, you know, someone says a mean, bad word to us and, and we respond um, in anger. At other times, we respond in anger and people didn't even intend anything. Like, uh, tell me this scenario hasn't worked out in your life. Where you walk up to somebody, and I don't do this anymore, because I've, I've gotten bit a few times by this, and you say, hey, you look great. Have you lost weight? My intent could just be, hey, you look great. But what they hear is an unintended implication of what I just said, which is, what, was I fat? And then if they don't say anything about it, correct it, say, oh, okay, I know your intention was just a compliment. You're not saying I was fat before. Um, was they'll go home and they'll think about it. Oh, gosh, that Dan Decker said I was fat. <laughs> I didn't say you were fat, but as he said I was fat. And next thing you know, they're fretting about it, thinking about it. Then they get angry. Then they don't come to church anymore because I said, hey, you look great. <laughs> Have you lost weight? And that's, okay, that, that may be somewhat comical, but that happens all the time. You know, is, is, is that our response is, is the, wow, did he hurt me? Fret over it, think about it, get angry, and then pull the ripcord. So he's saying this does not, this is not the path you are to take. Let go of it. You should have a huge sign that goes off in your mind when you feel, because that's what fretting and anger comes from is here. You should have this huge sign that says, do not enter. Do not enter, no further. That's, that's what needs to come up because that's what David's saying. Fret not yourself. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. And let it go. Run from it. Don't have anything to do with that particular path. It just destroys. And that's, that's in fact what it says. It only tends to evil. If you give vent to it, you become what you hate, namely an evildoer. It just destroys. It destroys marriages, friendships, churches, and communities. Is, is this thing called fretting, anger, and giving vent to it in wrath. So that's how we're not supposed to respond when bad things happen to us, when evil prospers. And the flip side of that is he says, do not be envious of wrongdoers. Now, we might think, ah, we're not envious of wrongdoers. Wait a second. I think it's a lot, lot, more, a lot easier for us to, to want what people get by bad means sometimes. That the, the teenage girl on the, on the, in, in the high school campus wanting attention from a, a boy and looks and sees a girl who wears things extremely revealing and gets all the attention she wants. Tell me there's not a want there. That, hey, if I go about dressing that way, then I get what she gets, which is what I want. And then an envy is born. Uh, Same thing could happen, of course, in the business realm, in which you see somebody getting ahead by cutting corners. 
And you can think, well, if I cut those corners, I could have the same, whatever the reward is. And you find yourself envying what they're doing. It's far easier than you think to envy. So either we're angered by it or we envy it. So it's pretty ingenious, these opening two lines, which King David, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, these are not the ways to go. The signpost, do not go this direction. Anger, not envy. And you know what? Uh, David seems to, in the major part of his life, lived it out. Because he was attacked, he was persecuted. And somehow he was able to, especially when he's confronted by opportunities to take care of the bad guy, to let it go. And I think, in part, he learned and knew and is now teaching us the way to live in a world in which evil exists and at times prospers. Don't fret about it. You've got to let go of the anger about it. And you've got to just allow that big sign saying, do not enter to say, I'm not going to do this to my wife, my husband, my children, my workplace, or my community. That is not the path to take. So that's the one street you have to say, I, I don't want to go down that street. That's not how to live in God's world, which unfortunately because of the fall is dominated by evil. So what street should we take? Then we come to the rather, again, genius, by inspiration of the spirit of verse 3. Because now he's going to show us how we should live in a world that is often dominated by prospering sin. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. There's four little commands in here. To trust, to do, to dwell, and to befriend faithfulness. It all begins where all biblical life begins, with trusting in the Lord. You might ask the question, how do you, how do you let go of, of an offense? How do you let go of an injustice when it hurts so bad? Well, the simple, though not easy, and for some rationalist, not satisfying answer is you've got to trust the Lord with it. Which means that you lift up, you lift up whatever it is, the particulars as well as the general. And you say, Lord, I, I trust what you say about yourself, that you are good, you're sovereign, you're loving, that you care not just about the big things in my life, but the small details of my life, that you are just and you hate sin, and I am going to trust you with this. And the outcome of this it's leaning on him, or as what one writer said, it's placing the weight of confidence, not in yourself or your ability to control, but in him and trusting, okay, you, I, know, I know in some way, shape, or form you got it covered, and I need to trust that. It's a relinquishing of control. It's a relinquishing of outcomes and saying, Lord, I don't know the outcome, but you do, and I'm going to trust that it's good. It's trusting him with it. I think sometimes the hardest thing about trusting for people who know the Bible and people who come to church isn't just trusting him with the injustice, but I think some people struggle more deeply with why God would permit the injustice. Though it's not explicitly stated in the text, I think it's implied when he says, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, that's verse 7, over the man who carries out his evil devices. 
It's the realization that there's a guy who devises evil and then he carries them out. When all the while your theology tells you and the Bible tells you that God could intervene at any moment and stop it, but he doesn't. So then it becomes not only a relational problem with somebody else, it becomes a theological problem with the Lord. Why, why and how can you let this happen? That's where, in my limited experience, where some of the deepest struggles in the Christian life come from is how, Lord, could you let this happen in my life? Well, listen, if I may say this, as humbly as possible, you don't have to know the wise to trust him. He knows the wise, and you just got to trust that someday he'll unfold that to you and let it, let it go. So trust the Lord with whatever the situation is. I trust this person who's been mean to me to you, Lord. You see it. You know what's happening. And trust this wife who's taken my kids for three and a half years. I, it's painful, but you know. You know my heart, and I get to trust you with that. So you trust the Lord. But some might respond and say, well, that's just a passive approach. Oh, yeah, let's just all trust the Lord, throw up our hands, and let Fairfield go to hell in a handbasket. That sounds great. Where's the responsibility in that? Where's the action in that? And that's where part two comes. I should back up and say that I, I, I believe that biblical faith, when the Spirit awakens true trust in the Lord and you're able to actually, by grace, give it up to the Lord, sometimes it'll take every moment and every day to give it up to Him, um, that it always comes with an outworking of responsible action, not passive. That's why the next command is given. Trust in the Lord. In other words, Lift it all up to his hands and do good. That's an action word. In other words, despite the fact you may be experiencing pain and evil and injustice around you, and it may seem like it's prospering, you continue to do the good things that you should do, which is talking about, at its core, love. It's the core and the root of all biblical commands is to love people in the ways that they need to be loved. Clothing the naked and feeding the poor and and listening to the one who's heartbroken, rejoicing the one who, who's rejoicing, and coming along the side the one who's discouraged. It's, it's, in other words, continue to do good. There's moral actions, positive, beneficial actions, even to those who hurt you. This is um, the essence of what Jesus lived and taught when he said, this is my, my theology for you. Love your neighbor, or no, excuse me, you're supposed to do that too. Love your enemy, and bless those who curse you, and pray for those who, who persecute you. In other words, the Christian way and the way of the Bible is not to return evil for evil, eye for eye, but rather to return good for evil, and by doing good for evil, to disarm it. If we allow someone else's evil to cause us to do evil, we give them power over us. But if we return goodness for the evil given to us, well, then we take away their power because they don't have control then. So he says, do good. Do good. That's the way. That's what, why, why the Christian church should be so entirely different in the way that it deals with issues and problems because we're not going to deal with it fist against fist, verbal Invection against verbal infection. Anger against anger. That is not the way of Jesus in a marriage, in a home, or in a community. So 
He says, trust in the Lord and do good. And then this last part, these last two um, are rather, I think, also timely. He says, dwell in the land to befriend faithfulness. Now, let me just comment for a second. Dwell in the land, that was, of course, the place God called them, the place of blessing. But the, 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 the temptation may have been, because it seems that the evil and the evildoers, the wrongdoers, the people who are prospering are in the land. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother David. So in other words, he's saying, stay there. Because not only is one of our first instincts to react in anger or possibly to envy, but also to escape. Just leave. It's a bad issue. Someone offended me at church. I'm going to leave because it hurts. And the Lord here says to us through David, he says, trust in the Lord, continue to do good, and stay there. Dwell in the land. Don't leave it. I mean, it's one thing if the Lord leaves, calls you to leave, then you leave. But if he doesn't, then you stay. It's one of the things that John Hansen taught me that I'll never forget, who is a founding pastor of this church. He says, you never give up until you're called. And actually, that's even a bad way of putting it. You never leave until you're called. In other words, you stick in there until you know for sure that the Lord wants you to leave. And I've held to those words. It's true. You can't quit until the Lord says, oh, now it's time to move. Until then, you dwell in the land. You stay there. You stick to it. That's one thing Christians ought to be known for is, hey, he committed to the job. He's sticking with it because he feels called there. He didn't quit as soon as it got tough. So it's, it's to trust in the Lord. Continue to do good despite the evil around you. Stay where you are. Dwell on the land. And the last one, befriend faithfulness, which is the idea of consistency and persistence, reliability. In other words, you continue and continue and continue. It's not just a single action of goodness, but it's a continual life of goodness. Continue to trust the Lord. Be faithful to do good over and over and over and again and stick to it. That's, that's basically what it means when you put all of those things together. Trust in the Lord, which is our foundation. And out of that trust, you do good, even when there's evil. You stick to it, dwell in the land, and in the end, you be faithful. That is the right way. That's the street we're supposed to all be on. Resisting and refraining from fretting and anger and wrath. But... Trusting God with everything in our lives, good and the bad, doing good, being faithful to do good, and sticking with it. That is the right and proper, though hard, road of the Christian faith. And you know what? That is, and this is, a rather vivid portrait of how Jesus lived. David is describing not only wisdom, but he's describing his ancestor, the Messiah, who would come and he would live and he would be slandered. He would be betrayed by personal friends that would rip his heart out. He would be abandoned by his friends and disciples, tortured and eventually killed. And yet not once did he return evil for evil, but continued to do good. He doesn't leave his people, continues to do good, stuck with it, and was faithful to his father and trusting him the whole time to the point where he died on a cross and said, right before he died, Father, forgive them, or they don't know what they're doing. 
That's, that's how he lived. Stands to reason, if you're going to be a Christian in your home, live like him, be a Christian where you work, Christian student, that you're going to entrust yourself to the Lord who loves you. You continue to do good, resist that temptation to be angry and upset and wrathful in our words and actions, to stick to it and be faithful to the very end of life. That's how he lived. That's how he calls us to live. Unless we think there's no power in that, remember that it's because Jesus entrusted himself to his father and did good to evildoers and stuck with it and was faithful to the end that all of our sins are forgiven, that we both have now and later eternal life and a hope that will never fade. So that's how he worked, and look what came out of it. Now, we're not Jesus, but God uses the same, same weapon to overcome evil today. It's when his people say, you know what, God, you got this under control, and I'm not going to let it freak me out. You know what, I'm going to trust you with this, and I'm going to continue to do good by grace, and I'm going to stick with it by grace, and I'm going to be faithful by grace, and watch what happens. Now, I think that's a significant path for us with some huge corporate and individual implications. I think corporately, as a church, this kind of sets the way forward. How do we deal with a culture, a society, or a city where you feel as if evil is closing in around you? How do we respond as a church, as a corporate family? Well, I don't think we should respond by taking up the fists of political power and fighting. But rather, the purpose of the church is to continue doing what her Lord Jesus Christ, our our blessed Lord, did. Namely, we continue to do good. We continue to clothe the poor. We continue to reach out to those who are discouraged. We continue to come alongside. We continue to comfort. We continue to help and care. That is, with the exception of God's spoken word and the preaching of the gospel, that is one of the most effective weapons we have. It's as a church continuing just to good into the community and watch what happens. You might say, That's, I still don't believe it works. You know, I, two weeks ago when Pete Gaudet stood on this, this stage and he's uh, the president of the Leaven, which began at a house connected with Parkway but now has spread, there was this point in his sharing that I wanted to stop, hit pause, and rewind what he said. Because he talks about an experience in which he was standing at the Grove Apartments, which, as he said two weeks ago, was one of the hottest places of crime in Fairfield. And a year and a half later, there was Pete standing there with a police officer who, who said that crime in that particular area where Christians had come in to tutor kids, that's what the leaven is, had declined dramatically. And this by the words and evaluation of a law enforcement officer. Something happened to transform that hotspot into a place where there are kids who are being tutored and lives being reached. And there's a simple answer to that. 
is, is, is a powerful demonstration and example of how good can transform an evil environment. Law enforcement, which is ordained by God, according to Romans 13, can only go so far. It is law enforcement. All it can do is constrain evil. But Jesus has given the church the commission to transform evil and to go in and see light come out of darkness. And that is our purpose. So the more of that kind of thing, it's interesting, too, that, you know, they want us to go to the other hot zone. It's like, why don't you just put more cops there? Because well, it doesn't work. It constrains, but there's transformation happening. It's interesting. At first, the state doesn't want the church, and now suddenly it's saying, hey, could you help us out? Because it does transform. Because people volunteering their time to come and, and, and just be a good influence and care. That's, that's doing good. But it's not just to do good. It's to stay there and continue to do good and be faithful until God calls us away. That is our way forward, I believe, as a congregation, is, is, is to continue to do good, commit ourselves, stick with where God calls us, and be faithful in it, and looking for opportunity to then share the most important truth. And that is the reason that we do all of this is because Jesus first loved us while we, will, we were evildoers, and he has changed us by taking our place and giving us a spirit. And we're simply giving to you what he gave to us. That is telling them about Christ. That's, that's a corporate way forward in how we can engage our community. But also an individual application. Everyone, I don't think there's probably a person in this room who can't think of somebody who has hurt them. Um, or some pain that you feel because you have felt stepped on or abused or offended. And the, the question, I guess, and the the application here is at each moment of your life there is this signpost one way of saying listen Dan or Dave or Sharon don't go this way give up your anger your fretting and your desire for wrath and take this way trust me continue to do good in that relationship stay there until I call you away, where it becomes clear that you're supposed to leave and be faithful. That is the way that we are to choose at each of those junctures in life. So for some here this morning, you might actually be on the, in the middle of an angry fight. And this is going to come as a direct word from the Lord. Which road are you going to choose? Relinquish the anger and fretting and commit yourself by the grace of God to trust him to do good, to stick with it and be faithful? Or are you going to go the wrong path, which will only end in destruction and in your own personal misery? These are the ways, the ways to deal or live out your faith by the Bible, exemplified by Jesus, um, to live out of faith in a world where oftentimes evil not only exists, but it prospers. Now may we have the courage to take that right road and do what's right. So let me ask you, in response to this, if you would um, pray over the person next to you, if you're with somebody. If not, you can pray by yourself. But I, I love hearing people pray for me, and I love praying for people, and I think there's something about it. And we just want to be a church that prays. Um, this is called the House of Prayer. So if you would, if you're with somebody, just, it's simple. 
All you got to do is pray, Lord God, will you give my husband or my wife or my child, give them the grace to trust you, to do good, to continue in it, and be faithful. If you're not used to praying, you can just pray that, that simple. Just, Lord, it's just basically this verse behind me. Just trust, help them trust you. Help them to do good or her to do good. Stick with it and to be faithful. And if you're uncomfortable, that's okay. You can just uh, pray quietly or, or wait until we're done, and then we have a final song for you. But let's pray that God gives us the courage to walk down this street as individuals and as a congregation. Let's, let's bow our heads um, and our lives before the Almighty and ask Him to be gracious with us.